from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. In search of the perfect Christmas tree and the farm experience. For a lot of folks, this is the only farm that they will be a part of uh, during that, throughout the year. How one growing business in Georgia is helping make holiday memories for many families. How much grain is actually moving out of Ukraine right now? We have an update. Plus a look at what harvest looks like, including along the front lines. As drought and our weather disaster continue to press farmers, USDA looks for farmer input about an important safety net. I'm Michelle Ruck. The Risk Management Agency is holding an RMA roadshow across the U.S. A look at some key changes right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. This season's drought and other weather-related disasters emphasize the importance of crop insurance for farmers. USDA's Risk Management Agency continues to tweak those programs and is sharing those details in a hybrid roadshow being held virtually and in person the next two weeks. Ag Day's Michelle Rook has details. Clinton, the Risk Management Agency is taking input from stakeholders across the United States on some key changes they're looking at for risk management tools to make them more effective. The first deals with the whole farm revenue protection policy. As farmers told the agency, they wanted less cumbersome and prohibitive record keeping requirements and the revenue cap needed to be raised. So we increased the cap from 7 million to 15 million. Basically, we doubled that. To, to allow more um, entities, operations to be able to utilize that policy, as well as we have streamlined the reporting requirements up front. She says they're also modifying the microfarm policy they rolled out last year. But um, the cap wasn't probably high enough, and we learned that through, again, customer feedback. And we raised that cap from 100,000 to 300,000. So we've tripled that. RMA also implemented a streamlined approach to the microfarm policy paperwork reporting, putting it up front in the application process. More information on these programs or roadshow dates is on the RMA website. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. Now get ready for some changes in the jet stream. Meteorologist May Yurisavik joins us with a look at what that means for many parts of the country. That's right, Clinton, and as we head out there today, we're looking across the country at the jet stream, and what we really want to take a look at here is out in the west. There is a big dip in the jet stream. That's not only going to keep things very unsettled, but also allow some cooler air to come back in there as well, creating some heavy mountain snow, especially into the Sierras and up into the Cascades and also into the northern Rockies as well. But as we look at here at what's going to go on for Tuesday, there is going to be some snow in the northern tier, some rain showers in parts of the Four Corners region, a little bit of higher elevation snow, and then another front moving eastward, picking up a lot of that moisture from the Gulf of Mexico and tossing it into the southeast and all the way up the east coast towards the mid-Atlantic and the northeast as well. This is going to be on the warmer side though, so most of this is going to be in the form of rain. But if we take a look at those snow totals for the west, you're going to be looking at those higher elevations seeing two, three, even four feet of snow above six or seven thousand feet. And then a little bit lower than that, one to two feet of snow above about four or five thousand feet. So it's going to be a sharp cutoff, but rain likely in the lower elevations and then snow likely for those higher elevations. 
And here's a look at the last pass for Kendall in Norfolk County, Ontario, Canada. Kendall says he had to wait to finish these eight rows until after the snow had melted. He says on average they saw mid-190s for yields with corn. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Well, bird flu has continued to have a heavy impact on commercial flocks. It appears the broiler industry has been largely unscathed. USDA's Economic Research Service sharing this map showing broiler production by state and poultry losses to avian flu. Now, it says because of the limited overlap of this year's outbreak with broiler producing regions, commercial flocks in the top four broiler producing states have largely avoided HPAI. Those states are North Carolina, Georgia, Arkansas, and Alabama. Now, it says of the more than 43 million commercial birds depopulated, as of the start of October, 2.3 million were meat-producing broilers. It represents less than a tenth of 1% of typical annual broiler slaughter. However, Iowa has been hardest hit by the flu outbreak with more than 15 million birds impacted, including 17 commercial flocks. Ukraine's wheat exports appear to have slowed last month. It's reported the country's wheat exports fell to 1.58 million metric tons in November. That's down more than 400,000 metric tons from October. The Ukrainian Grain Traders Union also says more than 5 million metric tons of grain and oil seeds were exported last month with the Black Sea Grain Corridor deal making up 2.3 million of that number. Since July, Ukraine has exported about 18 million metric tons of grain. That's down nearly 30% from the same time last year. Meanwhile, it's reported Ukraine has lost at least $1 billion of wheat that was harvested in areas controlled by Russia. That's according to research using satellite imagery from NASA's Food Security and Agriculture Program. It made this map where crops have been harvested or left unharvested. Almost 6 million tons of wheat was collected from areas not under Ukrainian control. About 88% of the winter crops planted in occupied areas were harvested, while unharvested areas were mainly along the front line, which you see in areas on this map where there are several blue dots. At the start of the war, some analysts cautioned up to 30% of Ukraine's winter crops might not be harvested by the end of summer. Cotton harvest is wrapping up, so how are prices looking as we head into 2023? We'll have details and analysis next. And later, the commodity of Christmas as holiday shoppers head out to farms in search of the perfect tree. We're off to Georgia in the country. And now is the time to sign up for the Case IH Holiday Giveaway. One lucky winner will be drawn each day from Monday, December 19th through Friday, December 23rd. We'll announce those winners on Ag Day. Now, those winners will receive a Case IH prize pack. Then the grand prize winner will be announced on U.S. Farm Report on Christmas Eve, they'll win a Farm All Sea pedal tracker. To enter, head to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. The OPEC oil cartel is keeping its oil output steady as a Russian cap begins. The decision comes amid uncertainty about the impact of new Western sanctions against Russia that could take significant amounts of oil off the market. Now on Monday, the European Union boycott of most Russian oil and a price cap of $60 per barrel on Russian exports went into effect. 
Lately, oil has traded at lower prices on fears a slowing economy will reduce demand, OPEC said in October. That's why it was slashing production by 2 million barrels per day starting in November, which remains in effect. Meanwhile, AAA reports the national average right now for gas is $3.40 a gallon. That's down 14 cents from last week. Every day seems to bring changes to China's COVID policy, and that's impacting the cotton market here at home. Agdays, Michelle Rook is back with more. Joining us with market analysis today is John Payne with Hedgepoint Global Markets. And John, let's talk about this cotton market. It seems like uh, demand concerns have continued to outweigh uh, this very tight supply globally. Yeah, a cotton is a trade that has poor fundamentals from the standpoint of U.S. demand. We don't mill a lot of cotton here. Most of that gets spun overseas. So uh, when the export markets that we send them to are sick, you see what happens here with demand. Export sales for corn, I'm sorry, for cotton rather, very, very poor uh, once again. So I think three weeks in a row now we've struggled to get over 50,000 bales, which you know, a year and a half, two years ago, even before the trade war started, we were up towards 250,000 to 300,000 uh, bales a week. So uh, not the story that we're hoping for. Supply side could show some promise, but all in all, um, you know, we've, we've had a really nice up, up month in cotton, went down in October close to 13 cents and rallied back close to 13 cents uh, last month. But to get this market to really move, uh, we're going to need to see the Chinese yuan strengthen. We've seen that so far, but I, I question to think that there's going to be a whole lot of upside here with China uh, driving the bus in the near term. Yeah, what price do we have to be at, though, to encourage some acres? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think it, it certainly got to start with where is corn going to be uh, in soybeans relative to next year. So $14 and $6 is basically where we are, you know, give or take a few cents uh, on those new crop contracts. Uh, we're around 80 cents uh, for the new crop December. So all in all, I think it competes to a degree. Uh, I think the question here in the near term is how much demand gets rationed to then alleviate those loss of acres um, should they come. And right now, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we export so much product. And, and when the, the market's slow overseas, uh, we don't have a domestic demand backdrop to fall on like we do in wheat, uh, corn, soybeans with soybean oil. Uh, the exports drive it and we're seeing uh, you know, a washout until, until things would return in China. I think that's the optimism today. All right, thanks so much for joining us, uh, John Payne. And we'll have more Ag Day coming up. The NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Meteorologist Matt Yurisavik joining us here, taking a look at our forecast. And as we look at the jet stream here, it looks like maybe some uh, adventure coming over the next few days. Yeah, that's to say the least, right? Because we've got a big trough in the west. It's going to keep things more active also allow some colder air to filter in over the next couple of weeks. And you can see this jet stream big dip out there in the west. That's what's allowing some of that heavier mountain snow to be going on as we head through this week and a couple of feet possible as we saw earlier, but then it's also allowing some warmer air to move in for parts of the southeast and the mid south as well. Colder air though kind of bottled up up there. Northern Great Lakes, parts of the north central United States as well. Notice what happens into Wednesday. Warm air stays in place. This is going to bring a system across the northern plains here into the upper Midwest, bringing some likely rain and maybe even some snow to the north, depending on those temperatures as we head towards the end of the week. But then no 
notice what happens here. We've got another system here that's going to start to work its way into the northern Rockies by the end of the weekend. And take a look at this big dip in the jet stream. That's going to filter in some colder air. And that right there is a pattern that will be very active as we head into next week. Here's a look at the temperatures, though. Much warmer down across the south and cold across the north. Again, the battle of those seasons is what's going on right now with the way that this jet stream is. We're going to see the temperatures in the single digits in Bismarck tomorrow morning. 20s in Denver, 50s and 60s down across the south, though. Higher dew points there, making it feel even warmer than that as well, especially with temperatures in the 70s and 80s for the afternoons. Still extremely cold across the north, and again, some of that could be so, uh, some snow going on as well. So we've got two systems here moving across the east. That's bringing all of that moisture in really from the South Pacific all the way across the United States. And then we've got a couple of systems here moving some snow across parts of the Dakotas and across the Rockies as well. Something that we'll continue to keep an eye on, but it's this high pressure system that's going to bring a blast of colder air in as we head towards the end of the week. And that could trigger some more snow for the weekend and next week, especially for the western United States. But notice where all the snow is going on right now, west of the Rockies and some heavy snow again in the Sierras there in California and into Nevada. Something we'll continue to keep an eye on right here on Ag Day. That's a look around the country. Now let's take a look at the weather where you live. Knoxville, Tennessee showers likely a high near 62 degrees heading to Jamestown, North Dakota. Snow ending in the morning and mostly cloudy and a high only 18 degrees heading to Woodland, California. Morning showers with clouds clearing in the afternoon, a high of 55. California water agencies that serve 27 million people will get just 5% of what they requested from the state to start next year. The announcement comes as state officials anticipate a fourth straight dry year. Now, California typically gets half its annual rain and snowfall from January through March, so the allocations could change depending on how much precipitation falls, especially in the Sierra Nevada mountains. 85 to 90 percent of California's milk supply hails from the Central Valley directly to the east of those mountains. The National Milk Producers Federation says water is front of mind for many California dairy producers as water scarcity is threatening to change the industry structure as the top U.S. dairy producing state. One industry expert saying California regulations and the lack of regulations on groundwater on top of drought conditions all contribute to the problem. If your surface water supplies are reduced and groundwater is not regulated, what do you think people do? They pump more groundwater. You know, we've already planted all these acres, right? I mean, we're, we've got 5 million acres of irrigated agriculture, very productive. Um, and the dairy industry is part of that. You know, roll the clock forward uh, 30 years and throw in you know, some drought years in, in there. And what have you done? You have done a major depletion of your groundwater resources to a point where, you know, it was completely unsustainable. He says dairy producers need a wet winter badly or they could start seeing some impacts. Limited state supplies mean water managers will continue to urge people to rip up grass, water their plants less and take shorter showers and engage in other water saving activities. 
and issues with water and feeding cows in the future will just be one of many topics discussed at this year's Milk Business Conference. The conference happening next week in Las Vegas. The keynote speaker will be Alex Weber of American Ninja Warrior fame. It's taking place from December 13th through the 15th at the Paris Las Vegas Hotel and Casino. Farm Journal's Stein Morgan will be there, so look for reports from the conference next week right here on Ag Day. And there's another busy place to visit this holiday season, the Christmas Tree Farm. Up next, we're off to Georgia to see how one farmer prepares for the rush of holiday shoppers at Christmas in the country. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. Plant your independence, plant Wiffles. To learn more, go to wiffles.com or contact your local Wiffles seed representative. Lots of people are heading out into fields right now in search of the perfect Christmas trees. John Holcomb of the Georgia Farm Monitor reports, people seem to have plenty to choose from this year. <laughs> to rip off Buddy the Elf, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by picking out a fresh tree with those you hold dear. And in northwest Georgia, there's no better place to do that than Ralston Acres Christmas Tree Farm, a family-run operation that was started back in 2008 after an idea was brought to life. We started out by planting about 450 trees, and we're going to see how that went. That was back in 2008, and uh, those started growing, so we knew we had to grow, uh, since our growth cycle was about four years from planting to harvest, uh, that we started planting, planting, planting. So the fourth year we planted, by the fifth year we were able to start harvesting our trees. And uh, so that's sort of a challenge to keep that in play all the time uh, because of the way the trees grow. Over the years, they've certainly grown their operation as they now have 5,000 trees growing on their farm that, as you can tell, are full, vibrant, and picture perfect. Something Rawson says takes a lot of hard work, but they take great pride in throughout the year to make sure their customers find a product they love and will enjoy throughout the holiday season. I would want people to take home a tree like I would take home a tree. Uh, when they leave here with a tree tied onto the top of their car or in the back of their truck or on a trailer, I like to think that that's a part of our farm, leaving our farm to go to their home and be set up and be a part of their Christmas experience. And uh, so that's on the back of our minds when we're in the hot sun trimming these trees or planting them or, or making sure they've got enough fertilized. Uh, it's tough, I mean, it's farming, but at the same time, uh, that's sort of the goal that we try for is to, to uh, make sure that when people come here that they've got a good product to pick from. Of course, though, growing beautiful trees is just one part of the puzzle. As Rawson says, the experience is just as important and is why they've created a place for families to make memories by getting to choose and cut down their own tree. For a lot of folks, this is the only farm that they will be a part of uh, during out, throughout the year. So um, uh, we, we tell everybody that we sell the experience. You know, you can go to uh, these uh, retail lots and buy a tree, but you're not gonna get the same experience that you would get coming on a real farm and cutting your own tree. And uh, that's what people uh, like, and that's what keeps people coming back, is the experience. And for Ralston, that's what it's all about, as he gets to watch families make memories on the farm that they'll cherish for a lifetime. I like to see the families 
coming on the farm. I think that's the, the biggest thing that I get enjoyment out of. Reporting in Rock Spring for the Farm Monitor, I'm John Holcomb. And our thanks to John Holcomb and the Georgia Farm Monitor for sharing that story. That's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Agnes and Rivers. Have a great day.